0: It's good. Hey, we're really glad that you're here today. Uh, we've said that a number of times and um, we'd love to have you tonight. Actually, an update that Eric didn't know about. We're going to push things outside tonight. Uh, just got a uh, got word. It's going to be like 75 degrees tonight outside. So perfect. 530 tonight. Um, so we'll do it outside. Uh, easier to clean up. Also, it's beautiful. So we' uh, would love to have you for that. Also, I wanted to say uh, before we get started uh, this morning that We are going to have a congregational meeting on February 23rd, and the day before that, on Saturday, uh, we're having an intro to New Valley. And so intro to New Valley is a class that I teach. It's just two and a half, three hours long. Uh, It's an introduction to the church, some of our theology, some of our history. You can hear more of our story, and you can just come for your own interest. It's also the pathway for membership. And so if you've been around for a little while and you'd like to become a member of this church, um, and all that it entails, you can come to that class. You'll be told what membership is and, and what it's about, and also... Um you are not committed to become a member just because you come to the class, so there's no, you know, there's no signing at the end uh, it's, you know, on the bottom line or anything like that. Uh, but that's on the February 22nd. Uh, we are having a congregational meeting on February 23rd. And we are, this is one way, if you want to become a member, we are going to have some voting opportunities coming up. Um, and one of them is a pretty big one. Uh, on February 23rd, we are going to be uh, discussing and filling you in on the details and voting on purchasing this facility. Um, that we're in right now. And the story of what God has done through this, it was just an Easter ago. It's last Easter that we launched here on Sunday mornings. Some of you will remember that day forever because we overran the plumbing Um, and uh, we'll never forget that day. So you can laugh. I'm not laughing still, but uh, maybe in a couple more years. Um, But God has done an amazing story. We're going to be telling that story over a number of weeks and so uh, do come back and hear that, uh, what God has done to, to provide this opportunity for us to be kingdom-minded and to work with Valley Bible Church, who has been here, vanguard of this place for many decades, and have faithfully uh, served this community. And we, in some ways, get to be a part of taking up the torch, and uh, I'm just really excited with what God's doing. And so more information on the 23rd and following as we start the next week, we'll do a vision series and begin talking about what it is that we are going to be doing in this space, and I'm really excited for it. For today, you can turn to uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, Mark 10, and we're going to continue in our really intense few weeks here. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, we talked about children. That's not a light topic uh, at all. And, um, and then if you were here last week, uh, Scott Brown, our senior pastor from our other congregation in Chandler, was talking about sin and cutting off your hand if it if you, causes you to sin. And like an intense warning, I didn't hear that sermon, but I'm guessing it was challenging. And uh, today we're talking about marriage and divorce. Next week we're going to talk about money. So it just keeps coming, right? And this um, this is... This is this is what you get when you're part of a church that is, uh, that is going through the Scriptures kind of systematically. And what Jesus does, He teaches about all these intense topics right in a row. And uh, it's our job to listen in to what He has to say and to make sure that we are listening to Him and not just bouncing around and seeing the parts of Scripture that matter the most to us at any given moment. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today as the Pharisees come to Jesus and ask Him these questions, intense questions about Marriage, divorce, and remarriage, and so we're going to dive into this together. Mark chapter 10, verse 1. Let's read it together. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation God made them male and female. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house of the disciples, and in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. So there's like this really famous guy named John Gottman. Maybe you've heard of him before. He's a marriage psychologist and studied a number of things related to, to marriage. And they did this very famous study in the 1970s. Uh, John Gottman and his partner Robert Levinson they did these longitudinal studies on marriage and divorce. And uh, so what they did is they got these group of people together, these couples, and they studied them when they fought. I, don't, now I, I like to imagine how they get them to fight in the context of being video recorded, but um, you know somehow they get them to fight for 15 minutes about whatever it is that they're fighting about. And they recorded these things, they studied the tapes, and uh, they kept up with these. It was a longitudinal study for nine years. And nine years later, they checked in with them again, and they were able to predict with 90% accuracy who would be still married and who would be divorced. And the way that they did that, the way that they discovered this, uh, was something they called the the 5 to 1 magic ratio. And uh, the ratio goes something like this. For every five, uh, you need, for every one negative interaction, you need five positive interactions in marriage. So they would would watch these couples and they say, if the couple exhibited at least five positive interactions for every one negative interaction, then they had a 90% chance, nine times out of ten, they would stay together. But if they didn't, then the percentages started to decrease and they would get divorced with almost certainty by the time it was a one-to-one correlation. What are the positive and negative uh, interactions? So, a positive interaction would be something like affection and laughter or asking an open ended question. Even in the midst of fighting, these couples would sometimes take breaks and interact positively. Negative emotions were uh, anger, of course, eye rolling, looking away, and then what they call uh, the four horsemen. It's a reference to Revelation the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The four horsemen of the apocalypse of a revelation of, of the of your marriage would be these four things: criticism, defensiveness, stonewalling, meaning I'm walking away from you, and contempt. And they studied these things and saw that those who had contempt for each other, that was that the person could do no right, was the greatest predictor of divorce. Now, I mean, all that's, that's fascinating in a way to to think about it. It's like challenging as you think about your own marriage, like how many positive interactions to negative. You immediately, your wheels start turning. Uh, But in a sense, it's very impractical, right? I mean, what are you going to do? Are you going to walk around with a notepad and record every positive interaction that you have uh, with your spouse and every negative interaction? That would be, of course, impossible. This is something that we see in retrospect, given time and, and a recording, which we don't typically have. But what it highlights is something that Jesus has been talking about for a long time, because each of those negative interaction things, those things that lead to that contempt, that lead to that defensiveness or the stonewalling, is this gradual hardening of the heart. And Jesus says that's the fundamental test for where your marriage is going. The hardness of your heart. He says this is why. You're coming to Me, Pharisees, to talk about this. This is why Moses in the first place had to talk about divorce. And he says in verse 5, this is the reason. Because of the hardness of your heart, He wrote this commandment to you. A hard heart. That's the thing that destroys relationship. It's the thing that Scripture says destroys the relationship that we have with God. When our hearts are like stone towards Him, they're hard we have we become what in Scripture is sometimes called a stiff-necked people. We, we are hardened against Him. And it's how our marriages can fall apart. This hardness of heart, just a, that phrase there, literally is uh, sclerocardia, which is a sclerosis of the heart. What is sclerosis? It's just this gradual hardening. And this happens in relationships over time. And so this morning, I know we're starting out really intense. This is an intense passage. Um, and I have a couple of different perspectives I want to bring to this. Uh, first, of course, is a pastoral perspective, which is, goodness, I, to speak to everybody who's had an experience of or some relationship with divorce this morning is so difficult. We have, we have folks in this room who I know are victims of divorce, meaning you went through um, your parents being divorced, and, and you've had that experience, and maybe that was a scar for you. Maybe it was a, uh, ended up being a positive thing in some ways because of abuse or something like that. But there's all kinds of ways that we've been victims of divorce. I know that there are people in the room who have been divorced. Uh, maybe you were divorced before you became a Christian. Maybe you were divorced after you became a Christian. Maybe after studying what the Bible says, you have maybe a different understanding of what divorce is now. Maybe not. The point is that all of us have some experience with this. And I know that there's probably some as well who are contemplating divorce. And it's crossed your mind maybe once, maybe more than once, maybe frequently, that this marriage that you're in is standing in the way of your happiness and your fulfillment. And you're wondering about whether you should stay together. And so... I know that I'm speaking to just a, just a ton of different um, situations this morning, so there's a pastoral perspective. But I also feel a strong burden of a, of a prophetic perspective, which is that the Word of God says things to us. And it, it dictates some things for us. And for us, the, the state of marriage and the state of relationships in this country and this world are, is, is abysmal. And Jesus speaks to it. And we, as His disciples, need to come in obedience to what He is saying and to see, again, how much God cares about the sanctity and the lifelongness of marriage. So I hope to bring both of those perspectives this morning. And of course, as always, to delight in the gospel for everyone, divorced or not, victim of divorce or not, contemplating divorce or not, The Gospel is here for us this morning, what Jesus has done for us in uniting Himself to us in this marriage. And so I want to talk this morning about how we defend our marriages from the hardness of hearts. How do we defend our marriages from a hard heart? And I want to talk about three different things. The first one is this, understanding God's design. Understanding God's design. His design for marriage. This is Jesus' first response when He gets questioned about divorce. He says, "Okay, what what did Moses say? Like, what does the law say? What is it from the beginning?" Verse six. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So there are no longer two flesh, two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And so I believe. As Jesus he responds this way, he's saying the first defense of a marriage is understanding what marriage is, what it was from the beginning, because God gets to say what marriage is. He gets to dictate the terms, and we get to see things, four things that, about marriage that Jesus points out that are from the beginning. He talks about gender. They have made them male and female. Some people say Jesus never talks about gender in terms of marriage. That's not true. Here it is. He made the male and female. Therefore, here's the second part, a man shall leave his father and mother, leaving, that's the second thing, and hold fast. The old word there is to cleave. To leave and then to cleave. To hold fast to his wife in this union. That's the fourth thing. What is created is a union. The two become one flesh. Therefore, what God's joined together, let not man separate. In Matthew's Gospel, it, there's, a, there's the exact same story, but he gives even more details in this. Jesus does say, gives an exception for that in Matthew's Gospel. He says, except in the case of adultery. Um, the word there is, is porneia, where we get our word pornography. And so, except in the case of extreme sexual brokenness, then this is God's will. So he emphasizes that the two become one flesh. Why does he emphasize that? He's saying, look, what God has joined together, man shouldn't separate. We shouldn't think of this as something that we can separate, is what he's saying. And so what he's saying is, what, and what we're saying this morning is that a biblically distinct perspective on marriage is that it's not a partnership, it's a union. It's not a partnership It's a union, even though it's very popular for us to talk about marriage as a partnership. Uh, You guys seen La La Land, the movie La La Land? 14 Academy Awards, came out a few years ago. Um, Really fun movie to watch. Um, Throwback, you know, just this incredible screenplay and acting is is incredible. But the theme of of that movie, and I'm just going to bash it just a little bit, even though I really enjoyed watching it. If you think about the theme of of La La Land was that it says something about relationships. You got this guy, Sebastian, he's a jazz musician. You got Mia, who is a struggling actress. And basically, the theme is, for a relationship to work, individuals need to find their true passion and then find a, see, see if those concentric circles can interact in some kind of way. It's a partnership. It's like, you do your thing, I do my thing, and then eventually, you know, hopefully, it works out. It doesn't, by the way. That's a spoiler. Um, but three years ago, that's it's time. Um, so this is a, a metaphor we apply to marriage, and, and the, like in La La Land, it's like it's it's like jazz, right? Marriage is like jazz, individual virtuoso players who somehow find a room together and create something beautiful. Uh, you do, you're an amazing bassist. You're a drummer. You're like, And you just do your own thing, but then the fusion of it works together. That's the picture of marriage, but that's not the picture of marriage from the Scriptures. It's not two individuals doing their thing and then finding a way to be together. Something new is created. Something new. The two become one flesh. And it's not to say that you don't have indi- individual ambitions and that that there aren 't things that you have to like listen and, and, and care for one another, and all of that is true. You have to live with each other in an understanding way but i 'm saying we lose something when we lose this perspective of what we have when we 're married is something new it 's not two people coming together and learning how to partner it 's something unique, something that you have with no one else. This is the biblical perspective perspective on marriage, including your children by the way. Uh, my children know that uh, I love mommy the most. I tell them that straight up. And some people think I'm a horrible person for doing this, and that may be you. But I tell them, I love you guys. I have three boys so much. Like, I love you to the moon and back. Like, I almost love no one else as much as I love you. And I love each one of you equally. I don't love your brother more than you. I love each one of you equally. But there is someone I love more than you. And I just tell them to straight up, I love your mommy more. Now, that's good from like a pragmatic perspective and a biblical perspective, I think. Like pragmatically, right? I mean, I have 18 years with these guys, maybe more, but I have 18 years with them and they're going to be married. And if my identity is in them, right, as they get married and as they have family, then I'm going to feel left out from that. And I have this lifelong partnership with my wife. But biblically speaking, I'm not one flesh with my children, They come from my flesh, but I'm not one flesh with them. I'm one flesh with my wife. This is the marriage that the Bible speaks about. It's a lifelong union that has to be said. It has to be said over and over again. This is where Jesus goes first. The best defense against marriage is to see this is what marriage is from the beginning. It was this way from the beginning. And in divorce, even in a sense, doesn't even erase it. You notice those last two intense verses where he talks about if a man divorces his wife and remarries another, he commits adultery. And she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. He's saying this is how intense it is. Like you think that you can separate it, but in some ways you can't even separate it even after it's done. And that verse, those verses shouldn't be taken to mean that you should divorce your current wife and go back to your previous wife relationship or anything like that. um, He's emphasizing how strong this bond is. It's lifelong. And so, this union can be damaged when we don't follow what the Bible says originally, which is that this is what marriage is. It's a leaving and a cleaving. It's a leaving and a holding fast. Your union can be damaged by either one of those things not being there, by not leaving, by, in your marriage, holding on to a previous way of life. Maybe that's a previous pattern, a previous uh, schedule that you had, a previous way of relating to the world, or relating to friendships, or a previous way of relating to your parents or your family of origin. There's ways that we can cling to the old life, and we leave it in marriage. But we also hold fast. We leave and we cleave. And that means making this person your priority above all else. It's holding fast to them even when we don't feel like it. This has to be said over and over again that this, this love that we're talking about, the biblical love, is not something that is just about self-fulfillment. It's about commitment and about decision. I love what Tim Keller says in his book, Meaning of Marriage, He says, um, in any relationship, there will be frightening spells in which your feelings of love dry up. And when that happens, you must remember that the essence of marriage is that it is a covenant, a commitment, a promise of future love. So what do you do? You do the acts of love despite your lack of feeling. You may not feel tender, sympathetic, and eager to please, but in your actions you must be tender, understanding, forgiving, and helpful. And if you do that, as time goes on, you will not only get through the dry spells, but they will become less frequent and deep, and you will become more constant in your feelings. This is what can happen if you decide to love. I love that phrase. Decide to love. And so we see first... We need to understand what marriage is. And knowing what the Bible says about marriage is essential to having a strong marriage. But it's actually not enough. It's not enough. And I'm surprised by how many people think that it is enough. Why do I say that? The Pharisees knew the Scriptures. And yet they still bring in this hardness of heart. They knew the Scriptures and yet they still had hard hearts. So, believing in a biblical marriage is essential, but it's not sufficient for having a protected marriage against the hardness of heart. And I don't know how many times I've heard in marriage counseling and in just stories that people told, have told at conferences, this phrase comes up more than anything I've ever uh, heard other than this in, in counseling. It's, I don't believe in divorce. People say that. I don't believe in divorce. And what they mean by that is of course not that they don't believe that it's a concept or that it happens to people they say they're saying that I don't believe that it's an option for me and how many of those people it ends up happening to because knowing what the biblical position is on marriage is not enough of a defense you have to understand your own heart That's the second thing understanding our hearts and the Pharisees, as they come to Jesus, reveal why this is so significant. Their approach to Him and their response to Him reveal their hardness of heart. First, they, they're approaching Him with hard hearts. They're not asking this question genuinely. They're asking this question about divorce to test Him. That's what it says in verse 2. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test Him, asked, "...is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife?" Now, what are they asking about here? Why are they how are they testing Jesus? How is this a test for him? Well, there's a whole backstory to this, and it comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 24. There's one place in Scripture where Moses addressed divorce. And it's just a few verses long, and, and so but this these few verses had a major impact on interpretation of how divorce happened in Israel and so what they're bringing to him is a long century long centuries long debate on marriage and divorce because in Deuteronomy chapter 24 Moses says that you know if a man writes a, if a man is going to divorce his wife he must write her a certificate of divorce and the passage actually says if he finds some something wrong with her or some indecency in her, there's different ways that it's translated and that's actually part of the issue, is that they had rabbis in their true rabbi fashion would debate what the word was that, that meant that a man could divorce his wife. And by the way, it was impossible for the wife to divorce the husband, of course, but the, the man can divorce the wife because of this word, But the ESV translates, indecency, but there was a big debate on it, and there was the liberal side and the conservative side. And the liberal side would say, well, anything that the wife does can be a reason for the man to divorce her. And listing such examples as cooking, and that he doesn't find her beautiful anymore. Just these piggish things. That was the school of Galel on the one hand. The school of Shammai, always the more conservative school of the rabbis, said, no, this refers to sexual immorality. And so they come to Jesus and they're saying, basically, will you weigh in on this centuries-long debate? We want to know, can, can a man divorce his wife? And Matthew's Gospel, the more fuller account, says, for any reason. Can a man divorce his wife for any reason? And Jesus also, in typical rabbinic fashion, doesn't answer the question He answers them with another question, and he says to them, what did Moses command you? And this is a very significant thing that he says because he's asking them to think about what was commanded and what they have to think about that for a minute and realize that there is nothing commanded about divorce in Scripture. Nothing commanded about divorce. Divorce is never commanded anywhere. And so they change it when they respond to him, revealing even their hardest of heart as they think, okay, he didn't actually command divorce, uh, so they switch the word then to allow. And they say, Moses allowed or permitted a, a man to write a certificate of divorce. Now, now you may wonder, like, why did Moses do that? And what you need to understand about the original context is divorce was happening in Israel, so... Men were divorcing their wives, and they were not writing a certificate of divorce. They were not even telling anyone. They were just saying, get out. And, this, and, the, and the wife was left without any social position or any way to, to take care of herself. And so Moses, because of the hardness of people's hearts, he made up this law and said, look, if you do this, you have to write a certificate of divorce. You have to free this person to marry someone else, because people would send their wives out, and then they would bring them back in. And he saw this happening and he, he made a law to protect the woman from this happening. It was a legal protection. It was never intended to encourage or regulate or authorize divorce. It was because of the hardness of their hearts, what he says in verse 5, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. Isn't it interesting that he says, The hardness of your hearts. Like they were the people that were there when Moses made this command. They could have said, hey, it's not our hardness of hearts. He wrote the command about our fathers. But he says, the same hardness of heart that existed in your fathers exists in you. It's why you're coming to me with this. And it's why this hardness of heart exists in all of us. It's our hardness of heart towards God in general, and it's our hardness of heart towards our spouses, and that will, over time, continue to destroy marriage. None of us, none of us begin marriage believing that we are going to say, do, and experience the things that we say, do, and experience in marriage. It slowly happens. It happens over time with a hardness of heart. And so we have to ask ourselves in our own marriages what do you feel for your spouse? Is is there a hardness of heart there or is there a softness towards them? Is there an engagement? Or is it the case that we're becoming more and more roommates, more and more child caretakers, more and more living in our own worlds? Growing in contempt? Maybe growing in fighting, or maybe you do the opposite of fighting, you grow in silence. Do you do things that you know will hurt, annoy, anger your spouse, and do you not care? That's a big test of hardness of heart. Just to reference another story that's up for Academy Award, marriage story. I guess that's tonight, isn't it? Tonight. Tonight. Academy Awards. Marriage story. Incredible movie. Bad language. Be discerning. Be old enough, obviously. But it's interesting. This passage today is a passage that was supposed to be about divorce that Jesus turns into marriage. And marriage story is really a a story about divorce that's called a marriage story. And I I won't do any spoilers on this one. It's It's not soon enough. But the whole plot of the movie is a hardening, hardening towards one another where things begin amicably. We'll be fair. We'll take care of each other. We'll do the right thing. And it ends up with them at each other's throats because they have this gradual hardening. How do we defend our marriages against it? We understand what the biblical pattern is. We understand the hardness of our hearts. But lastly, finally, and most significantly, we have to understand the gospel. Because that is the only answer for a hard heart in marriage or anywhere else. A hard heart towards the Lord or any of the things that he commands in Scripture or any of the ways that we relate to him. It is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Scripture always ties the story of Jesus to a marriage. In every place. The good news of Jesus is the good news of a marriage. We are called, as the church, the bride of Christ. And if you think about what we've said marriage is from Genesis chapter 2, it's leaving and cleaving. And that is exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us. Have you considered that that's what Scripture says He did? He left. He left His Father's throne above, is the song we sing. He left the intimacy of the everyday intimacy of the Trinity, the presence of the Father, in some senses, His glory, and He added flesh to His divinity. He left and came here. And with that flesh, He became one flesh with us in a marriage. And He held fast. He cleaved to us. And He does not divorce us. Even when there is pornea, when there is adultery, as the scripture says, we, when we go after other gods, whether that's sex, money, anything, we go after that thing. That is, in a sense, an adultery because of the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. And even despite that, when we walk away from Him, He doesn't walk away from us. He's been a faithful husband. He laid down his life for his bride, the church, who now he not only tolerates, by the way, but delights in as his special bride. That's us. And so when we return to a spouse, we return to a spouse the same way that we return to God. We return to God in the same way we return to a spouse. It's beginning with a soft heart, with repentance. Asking Him to make you soft towards Him again because He is your great husband. And the Gospel also teaches us how we're supposed to approach this as a church, which I began with a little bit today. Just look, everybody's in a different place. It's so essential that I say from the front what it is that we believe about marriage. It's what Jesus said. Look, let me remind you what it is from the beginning. From the beginning, this is the way it is. And this is the way it is. We must say that. Must. But we must also say this. That because of Jesus Christ, anyone and everyone is welcome at this table. And there is forgiveness and healing here. This is the Gospel. Jesus is able to say really intense things about sin while still welcoming, comforting, receiving and loving the sinner. He can say really intense things about sexual immorality, and he does really say intense things about sexual immorality while sitting at the table with sexually immoral people and loving them and receiving them. And he can say, as he does this morning, really intense things about divorce and remarriage and while he still welcomes and comforts the divorcee, of which some of us are. And we have to model exactly that as a church. And I hope that we do, that anyone this morning is welcome to be here. And while we can still do that, at the same time as saying, this is what marriage is. And this is why it goes wrong. It's the hardness of heart. But in the gospel, we love everyone. And we receive everyone back as Jesus does. Let's pray.